it it feels good to hear that logo or that intro doesn't it it's been a while it has been a while now we may or may not have the best boxing podcast that's up for you to decide no right? it's it's the best it's the best boxing podcast we got a little bit of uh <laughs> <laughs> we got a little bit of ldbc flavor we got, we got a little bit of boxing intellect we're starting off on the wrong foot uh <laughs> hey we may or may not have the best boxing podcast okay and for let, let's just say that for our you know if you're asking us who the best boxing podcast is we'll say that honor goes to tim boxeo who puts more work into his podcast than anyone does i think in boxing but what i will say is we got the coldest opening track i'm confident of that i'm with that so we've been on a little hiatus haven't been doing podcasts thank you for your patience if you've been waiting if you've been wondering what happened we're still here now let me explain what happened before we get into Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora turning in the fight of the year before we get into Ryan Garcia chasing Emmanuel to go around the ring and before we talk about the return of Gennady Golovkin. Let me just say, sorry for the hiatus. Last year, I think I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, had a baby and uh, we have had a real struggle with her schedule and her sleeping and it has it, it just got really difficult to do the podcast um in the way that we're typically doing the podcast it got really hard to do that so i needed to take some time off we needed to get the baby situation straightened out we got to straighten out i think we are back at our normally um at our normal interval that we're going to be releasing the podcast so my apologies I, i'm i'm really glad if you're still with us spread the word if you're one, if if you got people that are wondering what the hell happened to us, um, for those of you who've been part of the Patreon, you know that I've still been releasing pods, although shorter pods, but the content never stopped. So, for those of us or th those of you guys over there supporting on Patreon, thank you so much. We appreciate the support. But and if you want to support, you know, go for it. Go go to Patreon. But let me uh, let's just get to the boxing. Lex, thanks for being here. But we got to talk about Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora. High stakes showdown. Lubin built himself back up following the knockout loss to Jamel Charlo on the cusp of another title shot. And Sebastian Fundora, who's had a bit of an up and down career at this point in terms of he either looks like he is a cheat code and then he looks like uh, someone's about to get him. And this was certainly a fight with an even betting line. I think most people were really, really, really looking forward to this fight. And this fight delivered in every way possible. Both guys went down. Both guys hurt. Both guys showed sublime offense. But in the end, Erickson Lubin's corner threw in the, the towel after seeing the damage and the punishment that Lubin was taking. Kevin Cunningham had had enough. So there were questions about Lubin's chin. So do you think his chin let him down in this fight? Or does all the credit go to Sebastian Pandora? No, nah, this is not a fight where you could be like, like there's like some built-in excuse, man. Both those dudes 
that that was a fight where neither fighter looked like you could take away from them, win or lose. It wasn't Lubin's chin. Uh, Fundora obviously has some like really extreme advantages, but he proved he showed some vulnerability too. But he was just a little bit more durable. Um, he didn't have the issues that Lubin did with the swelling, and that ultimately won him the fight. I mean, I I was heartbroken for Lubin, man. I felt like. He put in all that work to get back. And I think he shook off the chin rumors because like, or the chin you know, worries or whatever. During the second round, I was a little nervous, but he, you know, he fought through it, rebounded well. He got the knockdown. I had the fight close. I know the judges had it, had Lubin up, I think, around. It was, it was two mm-hmm. judges had him up around at the time of the stoppage. And there was one judge with a draw, if I remember correctly. Um... I'm not mad at those scorecards. Maybe if you flip it the other way, where you have Fundora up around, like I'm cool with that too. I thought it was a very close fight. But again, it wasn't the chin, man. It was just a a, a great matchup. Fundora is a, a freak. If he fights like that every single, you know, night moving forward, I'm not, besides Charlo, I don't know who I would pick over him confidently at 154. So... I don't. I also don't think that this was a question of Lubin's chin. Uh, but if we are to talk about, well, what did like what? Because there's obviously these insane advantages that Fundura walks into the ring with, given he's six foot six, and there are things that he does that no other fighter can get away with, and somehow, some way, because of that frame, Fundura is getting away with it. But I, I do want to point out something. And that's that it felt to me like there were moments where Lubin just didn't quite know how to respond. And if you look at the the clip where he got knocked down, I think it was the second or third round, when he got knocked down by that uppercut, Lubin looked like he was frozen. And he had taken a few before he just got dropped. And I, I just noticed that over the course of the fight, there were moments where Lubin just seemed like almost like the controller disconnected for a, a couple seconds. And it allowed Fundura, who throws 80, 60 to 80 punches around, it allowed him to capitalize. Um, I do want to say, like, tremendous credit goes to Fundura because he's figured out a way to make being 6-6 work for him. I don't know if you noticed this, but like that dude throws an uppercut like a jab. And we've seen almost every single fighter Fundura's get gotten into the ring with just eat that shot. And I don't know if it's because that fight or sorry, not, not that fight, but that punch doesn't come very difficult or it's just a punch you don't expect to see coming like that. But that that punch is a problem. You saw him find its the the punch found its way through Lubin's guard over and over again and I think it's one of the primary reasons why Lubin took the l- amount of damage he took over the course of that fight. I mean think about it though. He Fundor is 6 foot 6, man. Like that's really that's tall for any how tall is Joshua? 6 foot 6? He's yeah, he's like the same same yeah, size. Okay, he's one of the taller heavyweights. Fury Wilder Joshua, 6 foot 6, 6 foot 7, 6 foot 8 or 9 or whatever. Fundora is tall for that tallest division. He's t- he's boxing guys that are 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet. 
that uppercut is gonna just be right there. You're you're basically punching at your waist, <laughs> like it's it's crazy. Uh, um, you know, I wanted to say real quick too is like I'm not feeling how people are like Lubin's career is done. He might want to hang him up. Based off his performance yesterday, I, I would give him pretty close to even odds with almost anyone at 54, I thought. Like, I don't think, like, again, I don't think his chin failed him. He showed toughness. He showed boxing ability. He showed power. Not like Charlo power, but... Um, he, he also recovered well. He was really hurt from that knockdown. And I thought it took him a little while. But you noticed he had the bounce in his legs back. And like, it almost looked like there was a point where the role, like, well, there was a point where it flipped around and Fundura was the one who looked tired and Lubin was going to work. Right. He, he showed a little bit of everything. I mean, who, who looked better in your opinion? And I, I want to answer. I'm not asking the listeners. Tim Zhu beating Gache or Lubin losing to Fundora? I think Zoo looked better. Ooh, um, shocked. Yeah, I think I think Zoo looked better, mostly because he won the fight. Now, here's the thing: I think you're conflating something, and uh, and you're making a comparison we don't need to make. I think Zoo deserves a lot of praise and a lot of credit for that win because he got up off the deck and he got stronger as the fight went on. No, and real okay? quick, I just want to put out there that I'm not trying to discredit Tim Zoo. I look forward to uh, his future fights. He he was just the most recent, you know, big 54 fight. If it was like J-Rock versus like Tony Harrison or something like that, I just would have used that one. That was just the most recent headline in 54 fight. My bad. Yeah, it, no, I, I think uh, it's different because Zoo showed an ability to adapt and, uh, you know, win a fight. Whereas what Lubin showed was something that you don't necessarily want a fighter to show. You don't want them to be in this position, even though this is the stuff that like is so dramatized and, and everyone really loves. You don't necessarily want to be in the, in the position to show how big your heart is, to show your toughness and your grit and all that stuff, because that means you're probably getting punished you're, 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 and you're, you're figuring it out. You're in a hard ass fight is what that means. Yeah, and like I don't think the the Gachet fight for Zoo was as hard as this. I mean, this fight at the is is likely going to be on the list of fight of the year candidates and is going to be certainly on the list of most taxing fights for both fighters given both guys took heavy knockdowns and still and walked through a bunch of punishment. Um, Man, I was I was I mean, I, in retrospect knowing how much uh swelling Lubin had it made sense the stoppage but at the time I thought he was ready to go more to be honest like I didn't like the the ninth round I think it was it was rough but it didn't look like I, I didn't think like damn they might have to stop it between the ninth and the tenth Cunningham made a good decision but his face looked terrible 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 but I yeah. did expect for him to go on uh, it, it yeah, it, it did feel like it came out of nowhere. Like it, it felt like a, a, an okay round. Like I didn't think in the in the I think it was the eighth round that Lubin had took like the sort of beating where it's just like okay, it's because because the way Kevin Cunningham did it, it was like I've seen enough. He like he came up. It was more like the kind of 
this was the stoppage that Gabe Flores should have had. His dad should have said, that's enough, like in the third round or something. He should have been like, that's enough. Um, I, I've, I, I'm not, you know, you're, you're not responding. You're not listening to me. Therefore, I'm stopping this fight. And we've seen these types of stoppages before. And in, in a sense, that's kind of what Kevin Cunningham did. But also the other aspect of this is not that Lubin was disobeying him or not executing the game plan. Um, but also it's like, you were taking punishment as a result and uh we got to live to fight another day and if if i don't know did you see the um the keith eidick put out an article on boxing scene lumen had a separated shoulder and um there was one more injury I don't think it was a broken uh, orbital bone, though. It was something else. Maybe no, it was like a broken uh, nose. I think a broken nose. He definitely looks like he had a broken nose. The way it all it swelled up. I, I, yeah, I, it's a broken nose and a separated shoulder. Now, here's something I was thinking of because, um, because Fundora's six six, and you're like a, a a Lubin guy who's like five foot nine, and there's a most most guys at one fifty four are around Lubin size. Um, like what impact does that have on your body? Where like for, let's say for most of these guys, they've been boxing for like 15, 10, 15 years for 10, 15 years, you fought and to, and train to throw punches at like generally the same area, maybe a, a, like a one plus minus one foot up or down. Right. Or, or I would say not even one foot, but like six inches. Yeah, I was, up or I down. was about like, to say one foot is like a, a lot, man. Like, I mean, Jermel is 5'11", I think. Tony Harrison is like six feet-ish. J-Rock yeah. is probably 5'10", 5'11". I mean, all these guys are 5'9", to six feet. Six foot six so is ridiculous. Like, I don't think about how how tall you are. The difference between Lubin and Fondora, I think, is nine inches. I think. 5'9", to 6'6". Uh, six, six. So, but like, you know, you train to essentially fight roughly the same guy with a couple inches here or there because Fundora is so tall. I wonder like your body's response to doing something that you don't typically do. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what the, the sports, the non-sports like, uh, maybe I'm not the biggest baseball guy, but maybe it'd be like pitching at a batter, but the strike zone is like above your head or something like that. No, I, I think actually like uh, close. It would be more like pitching, but they move the mound back like two feet. And so now you there's compensation you have to do to throw the, the, those same pitches, but at a greater distance. If you just all of a sudden try to do that in a game, I imagine that that could potentially be disastrous for some guys on a physical level. I mean, imagine if in a game or just in one game, they rose, they, they raised the basketball rim. They raised it like what, let's say five inches. I mean, like if, dudes if we're going up for a dunking, dunk, five inches is a lot. If it's shooting, you save like a foot or something like that. No, like if you go up for a dunk, like that, that requires, you know, you've trained for 20 years to, go up and come down basically at one height. And now you're, you're pushing your body to go. I mean, I just think that I wonder if Fundora's height 
and these guys having to change the trajectory of their punches lead can potentially lead to injury like Lubin getting the separated shoulder. I think a part of getting injured in boxing too is like when you're in like when you're in like real like dog fights and I don't mean it in like the like trendy term but that was like a that was a real brawl that they were in like that was like life or death essentially like while the fury three is life and death I think when your emotions are running that high and it's just like your, your pure animal instinct you're probably not <laughs> your body is probably at a different tension level than if it was like something a bit lesser yeah um so, so let me ask you a question mm-hmm. fights over did Fundora perform how you expected? And do you want to give him more props than you would have, than you were giving him before? Less props about even? Like, where are you on Fundora now? Because I want to give him some props too. No, no doubt about it. I think he 100% exceeded my expectations. Like, I thought Lubin was going to knock him out. And uh, it looked like it was going that way. What, like in the seventh round? Mm-hmm. It just seemed to me like Fundora, he's so long and gangly that there's no shortage of openings if you can counterpunch the guy. But there was something that I noticed, and there's there's just so many of these advantages that's like, you know, they're they're based in the the physical dimensions of the fight that Fundora is going to bring to you. But there's also a level of skill that he has that also is that makes it possible for him to use them. But like, did I, I noticed something with in the fight where Fundura was walking Lubin down, and this was also like a big issue in this fight. Uh, Fundura, I think early in the fight, got backed up, and then uh, Lubin started to back him up, or, or he started to back Lubin up. But he, this was the thing: Fundura walked one step forward. Lubin had to shuffle back twice and still was in range. Now that's one step to two. Just from math, if I count, every fighter only has a certain amount of steps they got in the ring before they get into the E level of their gas tank. And if Fundora is making you burn at twice the rate than any other fighter would, I mean, you're in trouble. And credit to Fundura because he was able to really push Lubin around the ring and in spurts uh, just wear this guy down. And so I I really thought Lubin was going to knock Fundura out. I was totally wrong about the way this fight would play out. Uh, But I'm also not surprised by it. But, you know, I I just didn't think it was going to go down this way. Fundura, to me, looks like a legitimate threat at 154 now. I think he earned the badge last night that like anything you may have been concerned about in his skill set or bag or package or whatever, you, you you probably won't have those same concerns now. Like chin, he proved to have a little bit of chin, proved to have some recovery, proved to have some poise. Because the truth is he didn't get, like I thought he got knocked down in real time. He took a knee and he said it. He said yeah, I, he I needed some time to recover because I was, I was taking some big shots. Having that mindfulness is that like that's a skill in my opinion because you have some guys that'll be yeah. in there and they're just gonna like try to tough it out or punch back. 
He said, nah, man, let me take a knee, gather myself. He sp- I-, I think he punched, his mouthpiece got punched out, but say he spit it out, showed some gamesmanship. Like, he did a lot mm-hmm. right last night. And also credit to his dad, who's his trainer, I believe. Uh, the way they handled that post-knockdown round, uh, the break, was they, that was done very well. I think... Um, the way his dad calm like was just super calm in the corner and like they like they they did not stray from the game plan they understood it, it was a knockdown it it was what it was but they just there was no focus on you know you got to you know you got to be tough you got to put your hand like there was none of this like you know the chaos that we see in corners when there's a knockdown you know you want to see like the worst case scenario of this load up Tiafimo Cambosos round one break, you know, <laughs> between round one and two. And you can see like, okay, that's definitely not how you handle a knockdown. So it, it looks like to me, Fundora is really just emerging and stepping into like who he's going to be as a fighter. And like, I, I think he's a legitimate threat to anybody at 154. And I, I'm actually going to include Brian Castaño and Jamel Charlo. I think right now, the only one who I think has like just clear advantages over Fundora is Jermel Charlo because he's got the power. But I also can see a fight where Charlo takes a lot of punches from Fundora and it turns into a wild fight that nobody expected, similar to what we saw from Castaño, where it looks like you can overwhelm Jermel if you come out and, and just let your hands go. And Fundora has some thudding power that I don't think people expect him to have. Yeah, I think he just he's he's on top of you so much, pause. That like it even if the power isn't like that, kind of like Subriel Matias, just punch after punch after punch after punch is gonna have its effect. But yeah, I do disagree with you. If Charlo and Fundor, if that happens, because he's a mandatory now, I guess, if Charlo gets past Castano and they push the button and that fight happens, I'm going Charlo. Fundor, I mean, the, I would too. The one knock like I have with him is like his, he sacrifices offense for defense or defense for offense, whatever. I don't think Charlo's not the guy you could do that against because mm-hmm. what Lubman was doing when he jumped on him in the seventh round, Charlo's more aggressive, punches harder has way better durability and is has way more experience. He's been in tough fights with Tony Harrison, uh, Rosario, Castano. By the time he gets to a Fundora, I think the experience levels will be too different. Now, everybody think- else at 54, Castano, Tim Zhu, uh, Tony Harrison, J-Rock Hurd, uh, I might favor Fundora. In, in my... In my view, I think I would take Jermel and Castaño over Fundora. And I think really the key to Fundora is, you know, we saw the Sergio Garcia fight where, like, if you can just physically make this guy use, do more than just throw his throw his hands, um, you will find yourself in a situation where Fundora's power has diminished, where his stamina has diminished. And I think anybody with the level of experience to capitalize on that 
is going to be able to get to Fundora. So I'm not here to crown him as the like the 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 number two or or anything right now. I just think that he is definitely dangerous, and I think if he if he walked through Jermel Castaño Zoo and anyone else, I wouldn't be shocked. And like, if you look at him, you're like, yeah, actually, he's six six. That makes sense that he beat all these guys. He just got an advantage that none of these guys got. So I wouldn't be shocked by that. But you know, I, I'm not really ready to go and, and give him that. You, you don't want to crown him quite yet. No, no, no. I'm, I'm but I will that. crown that he's fun. Yo, he, he it's still early. Like he still has some, you know. Yeah, he's still really young. Say he doesn't get Charlo Castano neck. I don't know what's gonna happen with the winner if they're gonna drop belts or whatever. Tony Harrison fought for like what was it like the WBC silver? He's an eliminate. That was an eliminator, and this was for an, and the Lubin Fundora fight was for the interim. So, what's likely gonna happen is whoever wins Castano or Charlo, the mandatories are gonna come calling. And I think the IBF is, or the WBO is going to be first. And in that situation, if the w, the WBC has to make up their mind, do they strip the winner and then upgrade Fundora to full and then order Harrison as the, like the mandatory, that is a, that's potentially what happens if the winner of Charlo Castaño vacates or gets stripped. I mean that's a great fight, in my opinion. I, I think it. I I mean I think I know how it plays out, but it will be a fun fight. What do you think? Anyway, let's I, talk. I need, I need that take. I need that. I, I think uh, Tony Harrison looks great for seven rounds, <laughs> and then Sebastian Fundora throws like the most ridiculous uppercut you've ever seen, and Tony Harrison gets a little wobbled by that, and then Fundora just kind of lets his activity control the fight from there on out as long as it lasts it would be so sad to see tony lose in that like fashion just because like he's lost all his fights like that heard jermel i think there might be another one that he got caught late and willie nelson yeah it was suck real quick i just want to throw this in paul williams was one of my favorites back in the day mm-hmm. and they used to talk about how tall he was and the advantage he had at welterweight Paul Williams mm-hmm. was only six foot one. Like, I never yeah. put that together. Like, six foot one, one division up. You have a guy who's six foot six and only seven pounds more. Six foot six is so crazy. I like even in, in any sport that's really tall, like basketball, that's you're you're a really tall point guard at six foot six. Or two you're guard. Draymond Kobe, Green. Kobe Bryant was Okay, Kobe was like six foot six. That's uh, he was t- like six seven. Tall one or two. That's tall, man. Huge advantage. But back to Tony versus uh Fundor, sign me up. I'm I'm all about that. If the belts go every which way after uh, Charlo Castano. Uh okay, so Tony Harrison, I thought, did not look impressive against Bryant Perella, but I think it's fair to say that that was Bryant Perella's fault. Um, that the, the Salgado fight was a draw and it was dreadful and I didn't enjoy watching it. Um, but man, Tony Harrison turned in a masterclass against Sergio Garcia. I thought he boxed beautifully in the fight. Um, I mean, but the question is like Sergio Garcia is not a bad fighter. Bring him back. We saw him give Fundura some work. So like, what the hell happened to this guy? 
You, you know what? I want to throw in something I heard on the PBC podcast. I listened to Fandora a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever. He said in that fight, he wanted to prove to the people that he could box as good as he could brawl. So I don't know if like that was a great. I'm not convinced. It, it, oh, and it, it could be that. It could be just he had an off night. I kind of subscribe to it because every time I've watched Fundor, he's just come out with the same like, I'm walking you down, throwing a billion punch style. And that was like, the, that was one outlier. It was weird. Um, but with that said, I thought Sergio did his thing. Like, Tony won, sure. But when you, for me, I don't, I don't, it's not so important if you lose or win. If you put a good, like, put in good effort, you look capable, you're trying, bring him back. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't mind seeing him again. I don't know who the guy is, but. You've been watching too much UFC. That's some US, UFC talk. That You are embodying what every boxing fan says boxing fans need to do, <laughs> which is. We should stop focusing so much no. on wins and losses. It's 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 not about the wins and loss. You know, we shouldn't write guys off after one loss. Wait, now I'm, this dude. <laughs> I'm not saying to like. You're out here saying the effort was great. Let's see him nah, again. I'm not saying bring him. Like, I don't need a dude who's like 15 and 7 getting like. You you bring him back, but every time it's probably at a slightly lower stage. Like if he gets Jesus Ramos next or something like that, I'm down. I'm with it. All right. Now that's a great matchup. Now, not that's not one that I would have tossed out, but uh, that is a great matchup. Um, unfortunately, I hope this isn't true. So I, I like Sergio Garcia. I, 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 I don't know. He's, he's kind of got like a, I don't know how to describe it, but the, the style is just kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's not the cleanest style, but you can see what he's doing. He's a little tricky. Uh, but they said that he if he said that if he lost the fight, he would retire. And like, I don't want to see that. I think Sergio Garcia could still be in good fights. And I think he could still beat uh, guys. I, I just think Tony Harrison looked really. Th this is the best Tony Harrison's looked in a really long time. Tony needed this performance. And not on, it, it was great because not only did he win, but he put on a performance that that has the people are believing in, in him again. Like I even saw yeah, in our, our Patreon chat, chat, a few people were like, I thought Tony was done, but I want to see him back in, in the championship mix after last night. And I think it, that was dope. And Tony was talking his shit. He was entertaining. I know they're going to float out him versus, uh, what's my man that threw the rubber duck at him? Luis Arias. They're going to they're gonna float that out. Like Tony's good for the sport, man. He's super entertaining. And when he's boxing the way he did last night, it's good for TV. Um, yeah, I, I, all I'll say, because, uh, we got to move on. We're going a little long here. Um, it's clear to me that Brian Perella was really like mostly the reason why Harrison looked unimpressive against him. I think the other factor is that Tony Harrison had gotten COVID and his dad had recently died. Um, I, I'm willing to forgive the draw with Brian Perella. I, I just don't want to see Brian Perella again. I this was the first time I'd seen Kevin Salgado, and I'll actually say that I more I would be willing to see that dude fight again more so than Brian Perella. Brian Perella does this like I, Rollins said. Brian Perella looks like he's playing tag in there. That's what he was doing. Like that was tag. Like Perella can box. That that much is clear. He's he's got a level of elusiveness that's pretty 
Um, you know, that ain't bad. But the offensive output was just terrible. I'm going to throw out a take that's going to shock you, I think. And it, it has nothing to do with the fighters. Yo, I, I need Showtime to step up their matchmaking just a smidgen. Just a smidgen. I'm not ready to, like, hate, but I need just a little. No, I disagree with this completely. A little more, yo, a little more. I disagree with this completely. Showtime is putting on the best no, cards in boxing I, right I'm, now. I'm holding Showtime to the Showtime standard and the PBC standard. Showtime is putting on the best fights in boxing 100% by far. I Like, it's hard for me to get through other cards compared to Showtime and, and Fox. But, yo, Fo like, Fox, yo, sometimes they have these matches that you, you go in thinking they're going to be trash or they're just completely random, and they end up being, like, epic. Show I, I, I don't get those as much with Showtime, and I kind of like that Fox gives me that. Okay, you're talking about two two different things here. I think in terms of quality, this was a quality matchup on paper. The way it played out is much different to the way those Fox cards are playing out because those Fox cards, they were getting dudes like, look, this dude can't defend himself. This dude can't defend himself. What's the worst that can happen here? Okay? You know, th that's not what they're doing here. They're trying to get you something that's like, look, on paper... This fight, like, th this has a, a narrative in terms of, like, career progression, not, yeah, yeah, we just entertain them. Just get them. Showtime does. Guys I, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. Showtime, they they have mastered, like, on paper, like, you have to see this. This is the perfect, like, you win, you know exactly how you're stepping up. If you lose, you know exactly how you're stepping down. But, like, sometimes... It's it, like they met. It's I, maybe I shouldn't be blaming Showtime. Maybe you blame the fighters, but like that Pirello fight, man. It just it was a miss, man. It was a miss. I, it was a miss entertainment wise, but I think like it, it was a good enough matchup on paper, so I can't really fault him for that. Uh, I think just a smidgen, just a just a pinch of salt, just to get that little pinch, just sprinkle it in, salt bay it, you know what I mean, and keep it moving. Just a pinch. All right, let's move over to Ryan Garcia's card. Uh, decent showing. 14,000 tickets uh, sold for this. Well, I don't know about sold, but they had 14,000 in attendance. Uh, whether you sold, um, you know, 13,000, 14,000, 12,000, you know, obviously there's going to be, you know, comps and stuff like that. And I know people are going to be like, well, what about, no? dude, they got 14,000 people in there. Okay. That's a big number. That is very, very, um, I mean, as if like we didn't have any encouraging things about Ryan Garcia in terms of, in terms of his ability to sell it is really strong for Garcia. And it also like, this was a, I thought a terrible matchup. It wasn't even creative. I thought that to Tego bring brings nothing to the table and like they, they didn't even try with this one. And they also, it also felt like they sprung it on us on pretty late notice and you know in terms of like people showing up i thought i did really well now that you know i got the compliment out of the way uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about the obvious and glaring talking point coming out of that fight and that is whether or not garcia going the distance which he did the unanimous decision over emmanuel tago 
whether that has anything to do with this switch in trainers from Eddie Reynoso to Joe Goosen. Um, I mean, there were times in the fight where Ryan had him hurt and it looked like he may get him out of there, but I don't want to entirely blame Ryan. Togo wasn't a thousand percent a willing participant. Did you just call him Togo? Togo. How is it? Tago. Tago. I like Togo. It's the sandwich place, right? That place sucks. <laughs> We're going with Togo. But I'll change my mind if they want a sponsor. I, I think we get we could get that going. <laughs> Tago or Tago. Yo, he wasn't in there like trying to work, man. He was it was lame. Like, the fight was just kind of like disappointing. You know, and, and on one hand, maybe maybe it was good for Ryan to get those rounds. Was it the most entertaining? Absolutely not. I saw him getting roasted by a lot of people who typically wouldn't roast him, um, which I think is a bad sign. But sometimes you just gotta win and move on. And I think it was one of those, you know. One of those times. You just get the win and keep it moving. Man, I disagree with anybody who's majorly critical of this fight. And the reason for it is... Um, okay, actually... Aspects I will forgive, but there's one aspect I'm like, okay, bro, you're, you're just nitpicking. Uh, you know, Tego fought in a way that he made it his like whole game plan that he wasn't going to get hit with anything big. He was not going to get knocked out. He was there to survive. And for all fighters, I think it is very difficult to, especially if you're a guy that wants knockouts, it is hard to stop these guys. It is hard to do anything against a guy who's not there to fight. Tego did not create, was not willing to uh, engage. He was not willing to do anything that would resemble trying to be in this fight. Which I think if he did fight this fight, you know, and was actually trying to win, he would have gotten knocked out. But he wasn't trying to win. He was just trying to survive. And like, granted, Ryan is, you know, th there are things elements of his game that this is just not going to work. He he can't fight on the move. That's just not his his thing. He he likes to plant his feet and he likes to have his little quick counters that he's got to be feet planted in order to land. So whether this was Reynoso, whether this is Goosen, whether it was me training him, whether it was you, I think we were going to get the same result here. Tego did not show up to win. He did not show up to engage. And therefore, like, I find it really hard to even, like, gauge what I saw other than the fact that I, I hated the fight. These are the worst types of fights to watch. Eh, I take that back. This is not the worst type. But these are amongst the worst types of fights to watch, and I just didn't enjoy it whatsoever. I, I will say I did have a problem with, like, you know, I don't know if this was, like, a one-off or, or a pro like, a growing concern that I should have, but Ryan to me kind of fights like he thinks about his Instagram clips and not actual boxing like etiquette. It, it, seems, ah, it, it seems like everything has to be some like rapid fire, impressive, flashy shot and not like, 
you're breaking the guy down. And I, I don't like to talk like I'm some hyper technician. People like to do that. I'm not a fan of that. But I, I just don't see him as being very dynamic. And I don't know if it's because he's just not or is he trying to be a, end up on House of Highlights Instagram. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I'm, I will be keeping an eye on that moving forward. I think you are 100% right about that. Um, I mean, you know, maybe it's, you know, actually maybe a hundred percent is not accurate. I think in general, you are right about what you say, but I think, I don't know that he's actively trying to fight in a way that looks good for content. I think it's more like he's done this for so long that that is more ingrained in him and in what he, like his instincts are as a boxer than things like throwing a jab. So like all those clips he does, that's the 10,000 hours of muscle memory that he's put in. It's not all those other things that, you know, Tony Harrison has that lead to the ability to counter off the back foot or someone like Lomachenko who's, who's got the, the, like the level of footwork where he can move in and out of range and stuff like that. That's not like, those are the things that have been drilled into them and make them far more complete fighters than a Ryan Garcia. Now, granted, all of that is a moot point because Ryan is the one who's actually out here knocking dudes out. And so there, there is a level of, like, it works. Now, I mean, just the only thing is like, you know, he's got to also be able to do these other things because as his opponents get better, they're, they're going to not be Emmanuel Tego. They're going to actually show up to win. And so what happens when he gets to see these different looks where we need to see him, you know, assume a more traditional like style of boxing because like the quick counters aren't going to work. Yeah. At some point they're going to have to level up his opposition and I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Like he might have some I mean, serious growing pain looks, moments and he did against Luke Campbell and they, they might, yeah. you know, come back. I, I, I think if like if i'm managing his career it's really hard because i i don't know where you go with him because i feel like the tago level of opponent is right that sounds right but the moment you start to bridge the gap between a tago and then the top guys like tank or lomachenko or somebody on that level in between those levels are a lot of guys that i think would be 50-50 fights with ryan and if they can take his power, which you know is a big ask, but if they could take his power, we're looking at such like guys that I think could walk through him. And so, do you just keep doing the Tago level fights until that big fight comes along, or do you just start, or do you keep putting him in position and lining him up to get a title shot? If I was in charge of Ryan's career, I would go with as many Tagos or Togos as possible. And and this is kind of the same thing. We, we just talked about this with Canelo. When Canelo was coming along, he was bringing up a lot of guys from 47. He fought Mosley, Valdemir, like Cotto. Like it was a lot of smaller guys. And because of that, he was labeled a gimmick. People said he couldn't fight. People said he, was, he wouldn't fail at the top level. He fought Floyd and failed, but after that, we have the pound for pound number one. I'm 
Oh, my yeah, bad. I mean, it, 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 I was just gonna say, yeah, there was a, a learning process that, um, it, it all came See, together I'm, perfectly. I'm not really down with listening to like whatever the mainstream boxing writers or boxing Twitter has to say. Ryan sells tickets, he has talent and you know, some ability. He's gonna need some, you know, education with Joe Goosen. You just bring him along slow. You keep making money, and if he gets there, he'll get there. And he might not. So what you're saying, so what you're saying is, instead of uh, declaring immediately for the draft, you think he should go to Europe and play in a couple professional leagues uh, before declaring for the mm. NBA draft? No, because he's still in. He, like he's he's at the draft. He's already there. He's a professional. Because yo, at the end of the day, no matter what you say about Ryan's skill, right? Ryan, arguably, is the second biggest fight at his weight division. Matter of fact, I'll go as far to say, Ryan is the second biggest fight at thirty five or forty. Yeah, I think I think. 40 is 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 a good call. He he did he didn't look I bad at talk 138. About his weight, but after this point, with that in mind, you Ryan can do whatever he wants. And I say this with Tank, I'll say it with Ryan. People are like, oh Ryan, Tank needs this belt and that belt. He needs Lomachenko. Nah, Lomachenko needs tank. Devin needs tank. Combosos needs tank. Tank is about to break records at Barclays. I just checked. I, I wanted to try to get a suite for me and my friends. The, the the price of a suite is like ten thousand dollars. Like they're not playing games. He's about to break every record at Barclays. Ryan is on track to do the same thing. So you just feed him as much as he needs to to progress. And when the big fight comes along, whether it's Tank, Devin Haney, Shakur, Lomachenko, whoever, you give it to him. But there's no rush. There's no rush at all. Yeah, I, and I I think like. I think there are certain guys who you don't need to worry about them in terms of their star. Their star is going the way it's going. You got to focus more on the game. Uh, and I think Ryan's one of those guys where it's like, you know, let the stardom you like that. That's, that's already like a done deal. He's done a lot of the, the groundwork uh, that you, that you need there. Uh, so the promotional aspect of him, you're good. And if the the hardcore fans disagree with that, they like let them, because they aren't going to be the fourteen thousand showing up uh, for his fight. And so now you got to get this guy, you know, to have the skill set that is required to be a consistent draw uh, at this level. So you know, I. I I'm so wait, real quick, that. real quick, real quick, real uh, quick. Okay. Is, are we going to, is, is this 138, 140 thing going to be a thing or is it one-off? That is a big question. And I think it's really going to depend on, um, is there a, it, does his next fight, is, it, I think if his next fight isn't with somebody with a name at 135, I think he does I go to 140. I find it very worrisome that he couldn't make 35 for this fight. If Tank, Devin, 
or any of these big name guys at 35 missed a year, I don't think they're coming back at 140. Basically, I don't. I think they're just going to be at 135, and that's going to be where they fight. That 130. I I think Devin might. He's Devin Haney was already talking about moving to, to 140 a while back. So I I could see Devin Haney being somebody who who goes to 140 sooner rather than later, but. All these other guys are kind of they're, they're kind of shrimpy, you know. Tank's not very tall. I don't think Cambosos is very tall. Uh, those guys almost need to be at one thirty-five. I mean, Tank could p- probably fight at one twenty-six. I don't actually. know if he's trying to make one twenty-six, but I feel you. I feel... He probably isn't trying, but he is, he tiny. is tiny. I mean, one twenty-six is a lot of weight. But either way, man, I don't, I don't. What, what's up with Golden Golden Boys peak fighters? Is Virgil? Ryan and Mungia, they're having like weight issues. Is it, would you call them weight issues? It's kind of weird. I would say that Virgil and Mungia are definitely having weight issues. I am not ready to say that about Tank, but Virgil, one hundred percent, I think that dude for his safety needs to be at one fifty four. Like they really got to stop trying this one forty seven gimmick because they're gonna kill this guy. I mean, the dude his body started shutting down. Okay. Get this guy to 154. He's too talented for him to get smoked because he had a bad weight cut. Um, Mungia is just big. And I think they, they, they've moved him up already before. So like there, I don't think he's, you know, Mungia started at 147 when he first came on the scene as like the guy that could potentially replace Canelo to fight Golovkin when Canelo popped for Clembuterol. Like, not more than a year before that time, Munguia's at 147. So, he is a guy that's been growing, and I think that they his team isn't that dumb. And given the struggle of 160, if they can't do it right, they are just going to go to 168. And I would not be shocked if this dude fought uh, Shane Mosley Jr. such next. golden boy matchmaking. Such a good call. It is brilliant. It is such just like... Yeah, I hate it. I mean, it, I hate but it, like it's, but you, like... You can't really not? be like mad at it. It's his first fight at 168. Like, you know, they're, they're probably going to be like, all right, let's just make sure this dude, you know doesn't look awful at 168 get acclimatized to the weight shay mosley jr come on down you just <laughs> wait and, Gabe and the, the jacobs fight is not made right i don't think so um you know you, i'm trying to remember the, the exact reporting but i remember when it got reported like there was just enough things missing that it felt like somebody was trying to make a public leverage play uh, behind the scenes to negotiate a fight and there was nothing substantial about that fight actually happening. So Mungia is just, just floating. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Uh, Gennady Golovkin made his return in Japan early uh, yesterday morning. He got a stoppage win over Ryota Murata and what I thought was a pretty fun fight. But... It was also a little, you know, I don't know about that version of Gennady Golovkin we saw last night. Let me ask, or yesterday morning, 
did Gennady Golovkin look like the best middleweight in he the division to like you? He looked like a guy who was who was talented, but I, I would lose to a couple current middleweights. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, to to me, I mean, it's perfectly said. He looked like a guy who's like, man, when he was in his prime, he was really good. Like, but what we saw last night was like, man, I've never seen somebody who wasn't an elite fighter. Actually, no, I've never seen someone other than Canelo back Golovkin up this easily. That was the thing that, that stuck out to me. Very early in that fight, Murata started backing Golovkin up. And I was like, whoa, Murata? Like, I, my opinion of Murata was very low. I've watched this guy fight his whole career. And I know what we're getting with him. I thought that even if Golovkin at 40 years old was done, he was just going to come in here and just hit Murata with some old man strength and just crumble this dude. And uh, that's not what we got. Murata was backing Golovkin up early in that fight. And I was like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I've never seen anything like Triple G in boxing ever. It's very unique. He, he, it's it's like there's the term victim blaming, I think, right? Or victim shaming. It's like the opposite mm -hmm. with Triple G. Like, everyone blames boxing for the trajectory of Triple G's career. And he gets all this credit for doing all these things. But, you know, when you really boil it down, I'm not, like, great fighter. But I'm not sure, like, what what, what makes him, like, so great. Like, I mean, what is it? Is it his win over Lemieux? Oh. Uh, is it his win, his his bear he by the skin of his teeth over danny jacobs um and it's kind of like off topic because you know we should be talking about the fight but I, I just the reactions after the fight really confused me and and you know i saw a lot of people like oh we the, the triple g canelo fight will be so great we'll finally get the third one why do you want to see triple g get hurt like triple g will get hurt badly in that fight it's it, like it, it, it will be bad this is not Marquez versus Pacquiao. It will be worse than Wilder versus Fury. Triple G will get hurt badly. So I, I don't know. I just had to get that off. I had to get that off my chest. I had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I, I think. Well, the one thing about so I think Golovkin's had a great career, and I and I also hate like the the whole victim thing of for Gennady Golovkin because in reality, when you think about it, you know. The the, the 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 point a lot of people make is that you know people didn't want to fight Golovkin. That is not true. There just was nobody interesting that existed that would want to fight him. Like okay, Sergio Martinez. Let's throw that out. That was not feasible. Sergio was just trying to get paid. That dude could barely walk. I didn't want to see that fight. Um, Sir Miguel Cotto. That dude was not a middleweight had no business being in the ring with Gennady Golovkin. It would have been worse than the Kell Brook fight because Miguel Cotto, I don't think had a, the level of toughness that Kell Brook had. Okay. Um, we'd seen Miguel Cotto get hurt in fights and, 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 you know, quit in fights. We'd seen Miguel Cotto take beatings. Uh, what 
Gennady Golovkin would have did would have been just very sad to watch. And as a fan of Miguel Cotto, I wouldn't have wanted to see that. Canelo, he fought him. Danny Jacobs, he fought him. Andre Ward, that had to be at 168. And so Golovkin didn't want to go up. Fine. I give him a pass. That's okay. Who else was there at 160 that Golovkin was supposed to fight? You know, Golovkin got everyone that I think he could have. Now, at this point, signing that deal, which has basically put this guy in, in, I don't know, like he just has not been as prominent as he was before. But he's chasing the Canelo trilogy. I can't blame him for that, but he's definitely gotten fights where I'm like, okay, these are still good fights for you. You know, Drevyachenko is a good fight. And now I think Murata at least has the the shine of being a unification fight. But like Golovkin's had a great career. I really do think so. Now you can evaluate your on your own and you can judge it based off of like how great of a career it was in terms of like his legacy and all that. But I think of him accomplishing guys and fight hit what, what the in-ring accomplishments and the who's who of guys he's fought has been exceptional in terms of like who was available and did he fight them? You can argue up and down if they were good opponents, if they were good performances. I don't care. I'm not going to do that. You guys can go do that. But I just think Golovkin has had the career where he's basically given you, given us everything we Yo, need to judge him. Triple G got is now, about, well, he may get Canelo a third time. There are many people who have not got Canelo one time. Like, you got, that's crazy to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it, on so b- because the two fights you know that he did with Canelo were so successful, I, I, I mean, he got the fight because that was the big fight to make. So, like, it, whether he deserved it or not, it if it makes dollars, I'm, it makes sense, and it made dollars. I'm not so arguing like I whether he deserved them or that. not, because like I don't even like I'm not sure if I even believe in the the concept of deserving in life anymore, but. Because people get stuff they don't deserve all the time, <laughs> but he still got it. Like, it's crazy for people to say, like, he. to your point, oh, Triple G didn't get the fights. What fight did he not get? Like, but P- Peter Quillen? Like, that's that's what we're crying about? Give me a break, man. He got Danny Jacobs. He got He's about to get Canelo a third time. Darvinchenko. Who, who, who was there to miss? Like, what, Floyd? Like, come on, give me a break. Like, well, at at this point, like you know, the 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 latter stage of his career, w- the fights that he didn't get, like a. Actually, no, I'm about to make myself sound dumb here. What I was gonna say is like, well, he didn't get Charlo. Understandable, right? Because he signed with a, a different platform. He's 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 but not gonna it, he's not gonna get Charlo. Like this- okay. But then I was also going to say he didn't get Saunders and, and Andrade. And I was like, ah, actually, no, they were on the same platform. That was going to make me sound silly here. Uh, but but he's waiting for the Canelo trilogy. If I had a $20 million payday coming and I could choose to fight, you know, this other dude for six or this other dude for seven and the dude for six is not as good and is going to keep that $20 million payday alive, I might go that route, especially if I'm 38, 39 years old, as he was at the time. Now, what, what I will say is this. I'm not interested in the Canelo trilogy. I think it would not be competitive at this point because you have to remember that 
when last seen in the ring, Canelo and Golovkin, you know, you remember what happened in that fight. Canelo walked Golovkin down, and while Golovkin did have success with his jab, Canelo landed all of the gifable punches, which are which is to say all the punches that look great in slow-mo, which are hard power shots. We're now talking about a Canelo who has been at 168, who's been at 175, and who's looked exceptional in those divisions. Golovkin will need to move up for the first time in his career. We have seen this guy. Uh, I mean, Murata was peppering this guy with very basic stuff because that's the fighter that Murata is. He's very basic. Uh, landed the 1-2 on Golovkin quite a few times in the fight. Canelo's not Murata. That was a close fight through like five rounds before Golovkin made an adjustment. Canelo would not have much of an issue with Golovkin. I think that would be a stoppage. And, and I know people are going to say, but Golovkin has a godly chin. And he might have a godly chin. I don't know. It's up for the debate. I'm not going to debate it. What I will not what I will debate though is that Golovkin's um not really shown that he's improved in the whole taking body shots department. And he just does not respond well when he's hit to the body. So I'm pretty confident in saying that I think Canelo would possibly stop Golovkin with a body shot over the course of their fight. Not interested in seeing it. I'm like, you know, I I think Golovkin, where we left off on the Canelo-Golovkin saga is Golovkin got that moral victory in that the fight was close enough that people still feel he won. For him to pursue this fight and uh, essentially close the chapter with a bang, um, I, I think it takes a lot of the mystique away. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of money at stake there, so I can't blame him for pursuing it. I'm not it. mad at him. I mean, like anyone, any boxer would take the Canelo fight. I don't care what your like situation is, but yeah, that's what I mean. Like you'll fight, I'll, I'll fight, fight Canelo. But I think that Triple G will get Amir Khan basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Whatever. that. I, I, I just I'm partial a, to like, the body shot stoppage. But, stoppage uh... that's that like crazy. It might be a body shot, might be a head shot, whatever. I just don't see it ended very well for Triple G. Is it? Is it it's a retirement check, essentially. A retirement fight, whatever. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's let's move on. But but I, I will say that it was a it was a fun fight. I thought Murata made it a fight, and the thing turned around. Well, at least my assessment of it. In like you know, if I put my little trainer hat on, which is like a little tiny hat with the little <laughs> the little spinny thing on top, because I mean I'm not a trainer, okay. But what I will say is that um, it seemed like the adjustment he made in the sixth round where he really started to come on is he just started to move a little more and he stopped planting his feet and just let his hands go and wasn't trying to throw hard. For the first five rounds, it looked like Golovkin was just trying to land a big shot and uh, it made him a little slower. It made him stationary and Murata took advantage of that. 
And then in the sixth round, it looked like he decided, okay, I just need to be quick. And so he was throwing a lot more quick uh, shots. And Murata, just like as being a guy who's basic and not very fast, had no answer for that. And it it made stoppage uh, emerge, which really wasn't going to happen if he kept fighting in the like the way he was like in the first five rounds where he looked gassed. So I don't know. I, I think even at 160, Golovkin is now looking uphill in terms of the other top guys. Like if he fights a Munguia, I'm not confident that Golovkin wins that fight. If he fights Jamal Charlo, I am not confident that Golovkin wins that fight. Even Andrade, I think if Andrade could come back to 160, I'm not confident that Golovkin beats guys. him. But, but a saving grace. I think all 100%. those fights would be fun. Uh, all right, let's get to the previews. We have uh, a pretty big fight this weekend. We will see the return of Errol Spence Jr. taking on your Dennis Ugas in a welterweight unification on Showtime pay-per-view. My first question. I watched the first have you been one. Watching the all and I will be watching the second one as soon as we get off this podcast. I loved it, man. Showtime always delivers on all actors. Always. Yeah, all access. It has been uh, like obviously far better than anything anyone else is putting out. You know, since HBO twenty four seven went off the air, no one really does this sort of documentary lead up style uh, series the way Showtime does, and. Um, I thought this one was really interesting in that there's no, like, it's hard to say, but like, there's no real selling point for the fight. It's more like they're introducing you to the fighters and there's this concept of a unification fight, but the selling point has been these guys overcoming their own personal struggles. And it's been really refreshing to see. I was actually shocked. I don't always watch them. And I even said to Rollins, because Rollins was like, oh, yeah, you should watch this. It's good. And I was like, I'm already going to order the fight. Do I really need to watch this? Like, you know, because obviously if I can avoid being sold on something that I'm already going to buy, I'll avoid that. And he's like, no, 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 just give it a shot. And I didn't. I was, I actually really enjoyed it. I watched the second episode last night. I mean, I just left it playing. It came on after the Lubin fight. And it's really well done in terms of like Errol and your Dennis may just be two very interesting characters in the sport, you know, taking away caring about their career in terms of like their accomplishments and what whatever. Just as figures in the sport, they are very interesting. I, I did not expect to like also get the level of candid responses that we're getting from these two guys. So highly recommend it if you haven't watched it. Um, or you can just say, I'm already ordering the pay-per-view, so I don't care. In which case, don't don't watch it. But uh, in terms of the fight, Ugas has quietly built this reputation as a Southpaw killer. Mm, but this is Errol Spence we're talking about. So do you think Spence has um, something to worry about on Saturday? It, it's... it's I think there's it, go, it could go one of two ways. If we get old Arrow, Spence puts on like a classic 
Spence performance if he's been somehow affected by a combination of like the car accident and eye surgery we have a very very close fight that could be like a draw or split decision for either for either fighter um i don't really have a take on which guy we get because tony harrison said something amazing uh on like one of those youtube interviews they asked him about that the fight and he said i will never pick against errol because someone who's been through as much as he's been through and is still here to talk about it is like one of the chosen ones and like you can say what you want maybe it's like cheesy or whatever but i really felt that like it was like it made me think of like 50 cent he got shot a whole bunch of times and he made it through and it's like what are you going to do with it and um Errol seems like he's been working hard he seems like he's in tremendous shape and he may be one of the chosen ones um, I look forward to it on Saturday, and, and I I think we may get old Arrow back. I'm not going to bet on it or anything like that, but, you know, if we get that guy, Ugas is in for a long night, I think. If not, Ugas may win. <laughs> well, uh, I, what I'll say is that I, I actually think Spence does have something to worry about. And the reason why I say that is because I think he thinks that. Now, that's not to say that I think that Ugas is going to win. It's not to say that Errol has any concerns about losing this fight. Well, I should say like legitimate concerns. I think he does have a concern that he's got to do what he's got to do to win the fight, obviously. But the way he talks about Ugas and his ability, he's like super respectful of what Ugas brings. And it seems like he sees something that a lot of fans don't, which is that Ugas is very skilled and there is something there that, you know, he's, he's obviously gotten to this position for a reason. And, um, and I think part of it is that he, he understands how to fight Southpaws. And I was watching one of the training clips and it, it was pretty interesting to see, because you can totally see the sequence that they were training for. Uh, Ishmael Salas was was drilling Ugas on like a combination on, on a counter to something that Errol. You can easily recognize if you watch Errol fight, like a, a, a combination that Errol throws pretty frequently. And so, Ishmael Salas is a great trainer. And that just leads me to believe that they are coming with the game plan and it is going to be a good game plan. And the real question is, uh, how does Errol adjust? Because I, I think Ugas is going to surprise people in his ability to hit Spence cleanly. And I don't think that has anything to do with Errol's defense. I think, uh, this fight is going to be won on a tactical level and not necessarily on like, oh, well, Spence is bigger, stronger. He has power. This is going to be something where if we look back, we're going to see like, okay, Ugas was doing X, Y, and Z, and that's why it worked. Or Spence adjusted to this, and this is how he set it all up. Uh, I, I just think these are two technical fighters we're going to see. The, the, the one thing I'm wondering about is how entertaining the fight is going to be because, um, you know, if if you let Spence box, he'll box. And he's obviously a, a skilled boxer. And But we've also seen the Sean Porter fight where, like, Errol is totally down to just bang. I, I don't know that he's got that 
desire to bang anymore given the accident, but maybe he does. I don't know. But I, I don't know if Ugas is going to try to bring that out. And if this becomes a tactical matchup, you know, I don't know that we wind up getting like a thriller. Well, although I was going to say like Fandora Lubin, but like that is going to be a I think super we get hard a, act I think to follow. We get a thriller, actually. I do because I don't. You do. I don't think that. Um, I think for Arrow to win and like win convincingly, I think he'll have to like get a little dirty. And like like Kell Brook type of fight almost, where he was just like, "Fuck it, like I'm going in there to like really try to break this man down." Um, I think fighting Ugas and like trying to outbox him, I think it'll make the fight too close. And if we get to like round four and five, like I don't think Arrow will want to be in a position where he's like leaving it up to the judges. I think if he brings it to Ugas. He could like force the issue a bit more, and I expect him to do that. I and I think Ugas likes that kind of fight. Most of the fights I've seen Ugas, he wants to brawl. I think against Sean Porter, he wanted to brawl, and then Sean kind of like switched the game plan at the last minute, so he, he didn't. Um, I've seen Ugas a couple other times. I don't remember against who specifically, but all those times, they've been mostly brawlish kind of fights, and so I I think we'll get one <laughs> this Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope so, but, uh, I, I'm open for anything because these guys are both very skilled and it's going to be, I think, fun to watch either way. Uh, the undercard for this fight is, or this, the undercard, yeah, for this fight is just, is pretty stacked, uh, just top to bottom. I don't think you could, we've seen a card that has as many significant fights in a while. Um, the co-main is Isak Cruz versus Yuri Urkis Gamboa. Cruz coming off of his loss to Tank, where he got the moral victory because he lasted the distance and made it a little closer than it probably uh, anyone, or made it a, a lot closer than anybody expected the fight to be. And then Gamboa, I don't know why people are slipping on the fact that Gamboa just went the distance with Devin Haney. And at no point looked like he was going to go. So Gamboa is still frisky out here. Although, you know, if you don't fight him the right way, not necessarily the most entertaining guy to watch. But I think Cruz coming forward on Gamboa, we might possibly <laughs> see the end I, that fight of should deliver. I, I haven't Gamboa thought about it, so you it, but it should deliver either way because when you have a guy like Cruz, you're, you're essentially forced to fight. And... um I don't know if Gamboa is going to be the type of guy who's going to run all night and like clinch. Um, it's going to be a fight. It's definitely going to be a fight, and it's and I like watching Cruz, so that should be a good one. This is going to be <laughs> funny because it's two guys who are five foot four. Uh, Yuri Gamboa hasn't fought a guy this small in a really long time. I feel like, and uh, I I think if if he tries to like move on Cruz. Uh Cruz is gonna figure out a way to bully this guy. And we're gonna set see Gamboa get tossed around. Uh and then also on the card, Jose Valenzuela versus Francisco Vargas. This is an 
interesting step up because um, Valenzuela is one of these blue chip prospects. And um, there, I, I guess some people see high, or have high hopes for Valenzuela. But I just am not that convinced with what I've seen from him. I don't know that I can get there in this fight specifically. But style matchup-wise, I think this could be a really good one. Um, Vargas maybe is a little refreshed at 135. I mean, he was able to go the distance with uh, Cruz, which, you know, Vargas looked dead in the water a couple of years ago. And that maybe isn't quite the case. Maybe there's still a little bit in him. And I think facing a prospect, if Valenzuela has any struggles here, like Vargas is may have that veteran skill to pull that out of him and show us a side of Valenzuela we haven't seen before. Or we just get a war, which Vargas has just thrilled us with over the course of his career, war after war. And then uh, we have in the opener... Cody Crowley versus Jose Cito Lopez. We are finally going to see the return of Lopez. Um, who was he? Oh, he was supposed to fight Abel Ramos on the Thurman undercard, which would have been an amazing fight. And uh, last year, if you'd have told me Cody Crowley versus Jose Cito Lopez, I'd have been like, eh, I don't know about that. But after seeing the Abdu Kakarov fight, at a minimum, I expect this to be uh, a bit of a slugfest. I don't think we see Crawley try to outbox Lopez. And uh, Jose Cito, over the course of his career, had just had a knack for finding guys and and putting or, or making a fight interesting by being able to land these sort of fight-changing punches that, you know, maybe he doesn't knock the guy out, but they certainly start to change things in the fight. So I expect this one to be a pretty good war. <laughs> Um, no, I, I just Anything I think that I agree with fights? you 100. I think it'll be a slugfest. Um, I like the work he put in against Abdul Kakarov Crowley, and uh, I, I've been waiting for Jose Cito to get back in the mix for a while. I wasn't sure if like, you know, maybe he was like going a different direction as far as like where what platform he was fighting on. But um, you know, I'm excited to have him back in the mix, and I definitely expect it to be a a banger. I mean, I the whole the whole pay per view and like. I don't know what you want to call it, like pay-per-view opener with uh, Brandon Lee and uh, Stan Yonis versus Butaev. It's just a great card overall. And I'm like super pumped that it's like right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, so before the pay-per-view on Showtime, we're going to get uh, in the headline, Radza Butaev coming off of the win over Jamal James versus Imanta Stan Yonis. This is for the WBA welterweight title, which is really stupid because the WBA super welterweight title is up for grabs in the main event. Uh, but, you know, WBA going to WBA. But, like, in terms of uh, just on paper, this fight could steal the show. Butayev is a come-forward, aggressive fighter. Stanionis has kind of fashioned himself as that. I, I have concerns over Stanionis's power. Uh, and Butayev appears to actually have power. I, I think this may be like one of those uh, <laughs> unstoppable force meets immovable object type of fights. 
So I, I don't know which way to go here. I think, obviously, you look at Stan Jonas, and he got featured quite a bit over the past few years. Um, but, like, just I don't really see either guy having a major advantage other than the fact that Butaev is a little bit bigger. Um, and maybe he's maybe he's faced slightly better competition. I don't I, I don't feel great saying that, but um other than that, like I don't really see how we can separate these two dudes. And uh, you know, I, I just think that style wise they're a great match I feel like for he each does other. Everything better. You know, he he looked really good against Jamal James. Like Jamal James is all right. I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say Jamal James is like, you know, a top five guy at welterweight, but Butaev broke him down beautifully and did everything you'd like to see him do in that fight. Uh, the one knock against Stan Jonas, I think, is like, you know, he he did not look fantastic against Tomas Dulorme. He got the win, but wasn't able to really, like, he didn't put him down. He didn't dominate the fight. Uh, one of the cards had it 115-113, and that's kind of how I felt about that fight. I thought it was one of those fights where Stan Jonas just never looked like he was going to be able to like he just didn't win rounds in dominant fashion. And so it left a lot of swing rounds that I felt didn't really Yeah, I, I, I've always thought Stanionis was like a cool prospect. He's like building his way up and he'll get there, but he's not there yet. Butayev I feel like is there. And so on the night maybe close for two or three rounds and but after that I expect like one way traffic big time. Especially because Butai is just he's like he's sharper, he punches harder. I feel like he's more technical. Um, I feel like in terms of like one punch knockout power, um, he probably has the edge. He he seems more durable. I just I think Stan just has more to learn than Butai at this point, and that'll be the the difference ultimately. Um, just in case anybody's wondering, they are one year apart. So like there really is no advantage here for either guy. Butaya 14 and 0, Stanian is 3 and 13 and 0. 11 knockouts for Butayev, 9 for Stanionis. These guys are pretty evenly matched. It's, it's you know, the, the 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 sanctioning bodies mandatory situation frequently is terrible and leads to really bad fights, but this is one of the few times that they've got it right. And then uh, on the opener, we'll see Brandon Lee versus Zachary Ochoa. Uh, Ochoa is coming off of a very, very close loss um, back in February. But uh, Lee is also, I would say, a very green prospect. He's 22 years old. His last fight was against Juan Geraldes. And uh, Geraldes had been on a little bit of a break, like a year layoff. And prior to that was uh, also had like a year and a half layoff. So like Geraldes was kind of like, you know, one foot out the door. So th they're taking it slow with Lee, but like Brandon Lee showed something in the Geraldes fight that we had not seen thus far in his career, which is that he actually isn't that bad of a boxer. 
he may have some skills there. So this is the opener. Um, I think it's a pretty decent one. Um, and then uh, anything else you want to say about nah, the man, I'm card? just happy that we're, you know, another big fight on the docket. I'm very curious to see what the matter of fact, let me ask you a question. Uh, 40,000 over or under for the crowd size. Uh, I think it's going to be okay. just barely yeah, over 40,000. I, I, I love fights at. Uh, I love fights yeah, at Jericho. I think it's, it's trending so cool to see like to be in the 30s. Tens of thousands point. of fans packed in in this big, huge arena. I don't know if the fights are fun to watch in the arena. Like I, I, I could imagine they're not because getting a good vantage point may be tricky. But on TV, it looks great. Yeah, I hate stadium fights. I, I hate anywhere where and you're talking about going from not your watching. seat. You really can't see the action. Okay. Yeah, 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 going. Like watching on TV, I, I, I really don't care. Like, it doesn't make any difference to me. Um, I actually also don't like the stadium fights because the crowd is delayed because so much, so many of the people are watching the fight through the the video monitor, and the video monitor it has a delay, obviously, between uh the sound or the 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 feed coming out. And then the action in the ring. So like if you're at a fight and you're watching uh, the monitor or if you watch what's happening in the ring and then look up at the monitor, you can basically see what just happened a second or two ago. And um, the to me, stadiums are te have terrible acoustics for boxing. And then also the crowds are usually have a delayed reaction. So I really don't like it. It, it does not add to the viewing experience at home. Uh, I definitely prefer smaller venues. Uh, that's just me personally. You know, 10,000 or less. I think those ones are the best places uh, to do fights. StubHub is fantastic. Uh, and then also on Saturday, we'll have the return of Connor Ben over in the UK. He will face Chris Van Heerden, who um, Van Heerden is coming off the fight with Boots where he suffered a big cut from an accidental headbutt and the fight was a no decision. So Connor Ben gets his shot at uh, Van Heerden. The interesting thing about this card is that Alicia Baumgartner, who's the women's featherweight champion, basically got offered to fight like on a week's notice. And it's just like pretty bad uh, on the handlers of this event that they would try to put a world champion in a fight on very short notice. I mean, it's just like, come on, have some respect. But otherwise, um, th this card is mostly a, a domestic UK card. But I, I, th I think Conor Ben is somebody worth paying attention to. I don't think he's great, and he's certainly not in the class of like a Boots or a Virgil. But I do think he is improving, and I always will give uh, some attention to guys who are improving. You know, for a long time, I had said Munguia is improving, and I think most people could agree with that statement that Munguia. It just morphed into a guy that he wasn't before. And I think Conor Ben is one of those guys that is, is improving as he's going along. 
And that's the fights this weekend. That is our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, for coming back to us. If you like this podcast, you want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash sundaypuncher. You can sign up there, get access to our chat, get access to more podcasts, including a pregame where Lex <laughs> gave his reasons for why Squid Game is better than Succession. And I uh, correctly informed him that that is not an appropriate comparison to make, but he did it anyway. Anyway, so that's the kind of stuff you want to hear as well. Uh, definitely check that out. We also talk about boxing like 90% of the time on the Patreon feed, but just occasionally we veer off into other topics. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week.